You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael Mann of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Our broadcast week began with our schools program, Catholic Schools Today. Catholic Schools Superintendent Dr. Jim Rigg gave us an update on Chicago Catholic Schools. Let's listen in. Jim, I miss you here in studio, but we are really doing what I call social distancing from here to your home. Absolutely. Uh, I wish uh, I could be in the same studio with you again, Father Greg, but I know that it's uh, not possible at this time. So it's uh, it's great to at least connect with you over the phone this morning. It's amazing that we were talking before the program started. The last time you and I were in studio together was the Monday around March 10th or 11th, before that yeah, Saturday, March 14th, yeah. March 9th. And, it, uh, and so every program since then, April all the way through December, I have been in the studio, you have been at home. And isn't it funny, when it, it's not even funny, when it started back on March 14th and the stay at home was till April 7th, I thought to myself, okay, we'll still be open for Holy Week and Easter. Then it remained closed until June 15th. And here we are, Advent, moving to Christmas, and we're still with the pandemic, but thank God it seems to be a vaccine is on the horizon, like real soon, and hopefully can we can start beating this virus. Yes, fully agree. And of course, uh, you know, Father, that um, we moved to virtual learning shortly after our uh, last show face to face together there in mid March, uh, and we moved to virtual learning uh, for the remainder of the school year. Uh, at the time, we thought it was only going to be like two or three weeks, but it ended up being much longer, obviously. And, of course, this school year, we have reopened all of our elementary schools for in-person, full-time in-person instruction. And uh, so we now have almost a full semester under our belt of uh, in-person instruction and implementation of all of the, the health and safety practices that have successfully uh, protected our kids and employees this year. Now, Jim, I have a question. When uh, Thanksgiving mm-hmm. came and went a couple of weeks ago, did some schools choose to go at home learning or are they back in school? Yeah, so we, you know, right ahead of the Thanksgiving weekend, we did a, a pretty thorough survey of our students, uh, our parents, and our employees, and we found that the vast majority uh, wanted to remain in person through December. I know there were some worries about people who were traveling over Thanksgiving right. and the uh, need to quarantine for two weeks uh, following that travel. And we'd really encourage, it's tough to do this, but we really encourage people not to travel. The CDC and other health agencies have said it's just not safe right now. And obviously there's an impact on people's ability to come back in person. But based upon uh, survey results, uh, we did allow about 20% or so of our schools um, to move to virtual learning for, you know, one week or two weeks or three weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we do have a set of schools right now that are learning virtually, especially this week. Uh, virtually all of those schools are, are, uh, are learning online this week. But still the vast majority of our schools are in person uh, this week. There's still widespread support for in-person learning. Uh, I, I receive a lot of 
uh, praise for how things are going in our schools, and that's very nice. But you know, the, the real credit uh, goes to our uh, teachers and principals and school staff members that have worked so hard with their students uh, this year to make sure that all of our health practices are in place. Uh, the yeah. masks, the distancing, all of the cleaning, all of the uh, um, immense amount of work that's been required this year, but it really has paid off. You know, Jim, I'm not sure uh, people are aware of just how much work principals, administrators, teachers, the faculty, everyone, because being the rector of the cathedral, when there was shutdown and the reopening, everything is double work because you are creating the wheel. You're creating, you're going, you're as you're, you're doing as you're going along, and there is no playbook. Well, and we have about 18% of our students learning virtually the full year, so we uh, allowed families to choose a, uh, an online learning option. And so many of our teachers are teaching kids both in person and virtually simultaneously, it's double. which is uh, effectively doubling their work. And again, our teachers have been so just grace-filled and courageous and heroic this entire year. They've just done such great work. And so, uh, so much credit and praise goes to them and to other school employees. Now, I know, of course, Jim, you have children in the system in the Archdiocese for Catholic schools. I don't mean to get personal, but now for your children, what's been the hardest adjustment for them? Because I was, I was talking to my brother last week. I said, you know, Adrian, to be in grammar school, high school, or college today would have to be so hard because things we take for granted, you know, <clears throat> playing football, going to a basketball game, socializing in the classroom, in the cafeteria, sports during the lunch period. I mean, just the normal things we do, weekend activities. For young people, this has to be such a tremendous, hard adjustment. Yeah, so I, I do have four kids, uh, two at a Catholic high school, two at a Catholic grade school. And, um, you know, in talking to them, I, you know, I think they've, they've done remarkably well with the health and safety requirements. And after you, you know, wear a mask for a few days, you kind of get used to it, I think. Uh, I think the greatest sacrifice for them, if you were to talk to them, has to do with the extracurricular activities. So as you said, not being able to participate in sports. My kids are musical, so not being able to play in the band or do the theater program, it's a, it's a sacrifice. It's tough this year. And schools have been very creative in offering those types of activities virtually, but it's, it's just not a normal year. And I do think there's um, great anticipation for a vaccine and hopefully a return to normal life. Yeah, I think as we're moving forward, I predict it'll be kind of a tough winter because it's going to get colder, people are indoors. But once spring hits and then new life and warmer temperatures, I think we'll see some changes there. But uh, people have truly sacrificed. And I know for you, you have spent many long hours with your administration, with your teachers, with the, uh, your principals in the Archdiocese, and you have done a magnificent job uh, for in-person learning. But it, it's, it's wearing. It has to be wearing on you, Jim. I, I can sense it. I think we're all ready for Christmas break. But I, I will say this. We just got our first round of uh, standardized assessment scores. We have an assessment out there called the iReady, which is administered three times a year. And we just got our fall scores back, and they're very, very strong. Good. And, and especially compared to national norms, uh, particularly public school districts that we're learning virtually, we're doing very, very well. We haven't lost any of our learning. We're continuing to grow and push our students academically. And those scores, to me, were really affirming of our decision to offer in-person learning this year. Uh, we do deeply care about the academic growth of our students, as well as, of course, the social and emotional and especially spiritual growth of our students. 
Uh, but it was neat to see quantified evidence of our hard work this year through that assessment. Later in that same program, co-hosts Dr. Jim Rigg and Father Greg Sackwitz spoke with the first-year teacher who was teaching a class remotely when his house caught on fire. Incredibly, he continued to teach as he evacuated his house. Here's a highlight of that conversation. I think we have uh, in our first segment a wonderful example of a teacher who has gone above and beyond. I was uh, really pleased to see recently this teacher featured on the CBS Evening News, the national news, uh, for something that occurred just a short time ago. So this teacher is uh, John Little. He's a first-year teacher at St. Mary's School in Buffalo Grove. And during a recent uh, virtual learning day, he was teaching his classes remotely when he had to evacuate his home due to a house fire. Uh, John and his family quickly left their home and he taught his next class from his neighbor's front yard. So he literally kind of grabbed his computer, uh, went to his neighbor's, uh, went on Wi-Fi, and continued teaching uh, in spite of the fire. Well, the house is on fire. <laughs> so, uh, that that well is beyond beyond, amazing. Yes. <laughs> so uh, happy to welcome via telephone uh, John Little, uh, who is a social studies and religion teacher at St. Mary's School in Buffalo Grove, along with the principal of St. Mary's, uh, Miss Chris Gritzmacher. Good morning. Are you there? Morning, glad to be here. Good morning, John. Good morning, morning, Chris. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. You know, John, when I got the rundown for today's program and I read that, I thought to myself, that is beyond unbelievable. (laughs) So maybe just for a moment to tell our listeners what happened on that morning. Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, with my homeroom teaching them some social studies. We were just going through the material when all of a sudden my brother comes into the den where I'm working and he says, hey, we got to evacuate the house. And I'm, I turn around and at first I was wondering, like, what's, what's going on here? But then I see, like, a lot of smoke coming up from around my living room. And I just immediately closed my laptop, got outside. I think I kind of heard the kids when I was closing my laptop. There was a lot of confusion there. I didn't give them any kind of notice. It was just really quickly get out of the house. And unfortunately, I was, uh, I got my laptop, but I forgot to get the shoes and coat on, so it was definitely cold out there. But I managed to get across the street to my neighbor's house, where they were kind enough to offer me their Wi-Fi. And luckily, the fire wasn't anything major. It's very minimal damages. We're very thankful for that. So they were able to take care of that, the fire department. Well, I kind of was able to log back on with my students, and they said, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, my house is on fire. Just another typical day of the week. Yep, just another day in the office, right? And to their (laughs) credit, they they showed a lot of concern. They managed to stay calm. They were obviously very surprised by that. That's not something you uh, typically hear at Monday, 10 a.m. But throughout the day, they did a really nice job just emailing me, checking in. They asked for pictures of the damages, so I made sure to post them. And then I uh, had to do my fourth-hour class outside just because the fire department was taking care of the, uh, all the damages, making sure the house was safe to go inside. And that was really when I was starting to get really cold out there. I was sitting on my neighbor's backyard without any shoes or a coat, so uh, I credit those kids. I probably wasn't fully focused on the lesson, but they did a good job just going through and uh, also showed a lot of concern. And then thankfully the fire was very minor, so by the time I had my lunch break, I was able to get back inside with some heating and uh, just go on with my day. Do you actually taught class 
with no shoes and no coat. Yeah. Outside. I didn't even think about it until I was outside for a few minutes, and that's when I started to get really cold at first. And this was like in the last couple of weeks, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, I believe, two weeks ago. So we're talking the end of November, early December. Yes. Now, just for, for uh, curiosity for our listeners, what was the cause of the fire? So that's a good question. It was in a really random spot of the house, the bottom part of the porch. We think it might be the Christmas lights, except they're hung above, so I don't know how the spark would have got down there. But it is a 100-year-old house, so it could have just been some wires or something that created a spark, and it just spread really easily is what we're thinking. It's a pretty incredible story, and as wow. I said from the outset, I uh, was uh, happy to see this featured on the CBS National News, so uh, garnered some uh, good attention. Uh, this has been such an unusual year for everybody in Catholic education, though, of course, this is a very unusual uh, situation that you had to face. John, tell us just a little bit about this year. I mean, you're a first-year teacher. What has it been like to enter teaching for the first year amidst the pandemic? Yeah, so it's definitely been a year I'll never forget. Um, from the day one, what I really credit our staff here at St. Mary's, everyone I talked to was super helpful. They gave me all the materials I need. They've always asked, hey, if there's anything you ever need, please let me know. It was a really welcoming environment. Uh, obviously, it was not anything what I anticipated my first year teaching. We can't like do so much group work or mix desks and we, the teachers have to travel around instead of the students, so there's a limited amount of things we can safely do when it comes to teaching without, uh, with, while maintaining safety protocol. But overall, I would say we've managed to turn the situation into something positive. Our team here really has, I believe, created a pretty positive environment for the students given the situation. I think most of the kids we have enjoy coming to school every day. And other than that, I think the masks was something that initially they had a little bit of struggles on, but pretty much every week it just becomes more and more normal. And I think we've done a really good job just turning this unprecedented situation into a pretty good success. Now, Chris, I have to ask you, how many years have you been principal at St. Mary's? This is my second year. So even for you, you start a year ago, normal situation, but then this past summer, I take it back, your first year, the closure happened in March, which was part of your first year. Right. So this has been an, an incredible change for you. I mean, you are pretty much a brand new principal, and in your first year, you're hit with COVID-19 through the spring, through summer, into the fall. So in all honesty, it, it, this has to be very hard on you. Well, I'm not a new principal. Um, I've been doing this for about 40 years but you sound like about 29 years old. <laughs> wow. Okay, great. Um, I've been principal for uh, about 25 years, and I uh, retired from working in the public school system and, of course, knew that I would not uh, be retired for long. Um, hoped to be an interim principal and then decided, oh, just go back full time. So that's what I have done, and that's why I've been at St. Mary for the past two years. But um, I do have a lot of experience and I can share that this year has been very unique in all of the years. Um, you know, when we trained to be educators um, and all the different case scenarios that we plan for as leaders and principals, this is something that we could never have imagined. Now, have you also found, Chris, like as a fact I'm the rector of the cathedral and you are a principal, 
so that as we moved into COVID-19 in the spring with the, with the shutdown uh, at home learning, the amount of work needed to make this huge transition from the classroom to e-learning and move it into the summer, into the fall. Again, of course, you're back in school right now. But haven't you found that the work has been terribly magnified in all that you do? It really has. Um, last March when we left, we had a plan, you know, for, for snow days and what we would do because we wanted to have the kids continue to learn and not just shut down if we had those cold days and snow days. So we took that plan and started to work with it. Um, we were shut down on a Friday. We started e-learning on a Monday. So the teachers and I were learning um, how to do this as the students were learning. So it was really a challenge. Um, and, you know, we learned a lot from, from that experience. But then this fall, or summer to fall, has been even different than that because we have over 60 of our students whose families are choosing to continue e-learning. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have about 230 students in the school. So we're, we're you know, overseeing the e-learning and um, the education of the students right here in school. John, that was just uh, an incredible story about uh, your house fire and your dedication to your students and running out and uh, continuing virtual learning from your neighbor's front yard. Uh, just a, a really neat sign of the dedication of all of our teachers and staff members this uh, unusual school year. You know, Jim, I've been, I've been a priest now 41 and a half years involved with Catholic schools. I've never heard a story like that. That is Well, uh, here's the I've question, story, Father. The if you were uh, in the middle of a homily and there was a fire, would you run outside and continue it? And would anybody mm. follow you? <laughs> <laughs> Unless they, they run out before, the, before my homily starts. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we uh, broaden the scope of the conversation a little bit. Uh, St. Mary's School is a wonderful school and offers so much to the uh, the students and families there. Uh, Chris Gritzmacher, tell us a little bit more about some of the other things happening at St. Mary's this year. Okay, well, we have a very unique opportunity. Um, I, I've sent a lot of emails, and sometimes they're, you know, advertising. And um, I got one from Pauline Books and Media and um, Sister Helen Rita Lane. And this is an amazing project that we have been offered. Um, at first, I thought this sounds too good to be true, uh, so I checked it out with some of our leaders in the archdiocese, and they said, yes, in fact, this, is, this organization is very legit. So there is an um, anonymous donor who gives each fifth grade student $50 cash, and what they are to do with this money is they are to think about and write about and select an individual person that they feel is in need. And they are asked to approach the project as a friend of Jesus reaching out to another friend of Jesus. So this is the Friend of Jesus project. Um, and it's, it, it's in its 11th year of operation. And I guess from what this is, I've read on the letters they've sent me, is that over 5,000 Catholic school fifth graders have participated and experienced the joy of giving at Christmas through this project. So our students just found out last week that they're going to be involved in this, and um, it's just 
so cool. So, Chris, let me get this right. Every fifth grader in your school is receiving $50 for this project. Yes. In an envelope, just for them, $50 in their hands. That's an amazing amount of money. <laughs> I, 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 yes. And when you think that there are 5,000 Catholic school fifth graders over the last 11 years who have had the opportunity to experience this, who is this fabulous donor? Now, That's this, amazing. Yeah, this donor felt that fifth grade, I, I think that something must have happened um, in their fifth grade year. And they felt that fifth grade is really the time um, to involve students in this project. I'd be surprised as these children grow up, they in turn will not pass it forward with an idea similar to that, remembering their own fifth grade. That's a great story. Now, for a moment, John, we were talking uh, during the break here. uh, There's a program that you are heading up called like a reverse Advent program? Yes. So the assistant principal here at St. Mary's actually uh, sent it out to all the teachers, and I decided to try to pick it up. For my religion class, I remember one of my favorite memories of uh, going to church in Advent time was getting those Advent calendars and those uh, chocolates that, for some reason, are some of the best chocolates I've ever had. But I think that this reversed one, when I was taking a look at it, it just seemed like a really cool thing to do because, as Christians, we should be giving back to our communities. And what it is is each day of Advent, students are supposed to bring in up specific Donation for a food bank, like December 1st was a box of cereal, December 2nd was peanut butter, and then it just goes down the line. What it's looking like so far is students aren't exactly following the calendar so much as they are just donating the food, and I told them that that's absolutely still in the spirit, just giving back to those in need. I think it's a really important year and important time to uh, keep that in mind. So is the food collected then in your room or something? So the food's uh, currently in my room, and I will send it down to the office along with the other teachers who are doing it, and I believe it will be donated to a local food shelter. That's phenomenal. Yeah, that's great to hear. This is a a wonderful time, the season of Advent, to remind students of the importance of giving back to those around them. And both of these projects are wonderful examples of, you know, inspiring that spirit of giving within young people. Uh, it's important, and it's uh, it's an essential part, I think, of uh, an education in a Catholic school, that commitment to service, that commitment to, to helping those around us, particularly ver- during a very difficult year. Chris, uh, before we get too far in, I want to give you a chance to uh, mention uh, St. Mary's uh, and your contact information. Uh, we know we have a lot of families out there beginning to look around for a school next year. Uh, and just as a reminder, we do have a very active website for the Archdiocese, archchicago.org, and if you click schools on that website, you can be taken to a school finder, put in your zip code, and you will see Catholic schools around you. There are 199 Catholic schools in the Archdiocese. You can't go wrong with any of them. And whether you're looking for an elementary school or a high school, uh, I'd encourage you to take a look at that school finder website. But Chris, why don't you give us the, um, the website and the phone number for St. Mary's School? Okay, so this is St. Mary's School in Buffalo Grove, and the website is school.stmarybg.org. One more time, Chris. School.stmarybg.org. And how about a phone number? And the phone number is 847 
459-6270. And we are actually accepting fifth and sixth graders in January if there are uh, families who want to have their child come to St. Mary right now, we can get them in in January. How about the phone number one more time, Chris? Okay, 847-459-6270. Jim, ask another question. We still have time. Oh, happy to. So let's go back to John for a little bit. John, uh, we talked earlier that this is your very first year in teaching. Uh, I always ask this question of new teachers. Tell us why you decided to become a teacher and why you decided to teach at a Catholic school. So that's a good question. When I was in school, I was a pretty good student. However, I was someone who uh, often needed to be motivated by teachers in order to like be successful in grades. And often teachers' enthusiasm really rubbed off on me. Like I noticed that I don't think it's a coincidence that I teach social studies. A lot of the teachers I connected with pretty much all the way from middle school up until high school, were social studies teachers. And I've always been someone that wanted to kind of make a difference in the world somehow, and I feel like teaching is a great way to do that. I'm not someone who could really work in an office building, so it's definitely good that I have a job that can I can kind of roam around, interact with people day in, day out. And why I chose a Catholic school I actually went to a uh, Catholic school in Roselle, Illinois, St. Walter, Sure. grades uh, 1 through 8. So when I applied to St. Mary's, I remember talking about this in the interview. I said it would be really cool to uh, kind of give back my positive experience at a Catholic school to the students we have here in Buffalo Grove. Many years ago, I was near you, probably before you were born. I was at the uh, Church of the Holy Spirit in Schaumburg. And uh, which is the Archdiocese of Chicago, and you border on the Diocese of uh, Joliet over there, mm-hmm. and now, of course, in Chicago. And just in the last minute, uh, uh, Chris, what got you into education and then in the whole sense of becoming a principal, which is a certainly different ball game than being in the classroom with the children? Well, again, things happen for a reason. Um, I was going to school in business, and I have a friend who was working with a, with a kindergarten classroom in the summer and she went on vacation and asked me to cover and there was a student who was a selective mute and I was crawling around on the monkey bars with him he hadn't talked to anybody and he talked to me and I said okay that's it I'm going to be a special educator and then I I um, talked with the principal at one point and I'm like wow she is so wonderful she's so delightful and just loves her school I'm going to be a principal too so it all happened like in the matter of a week. That's amazing. Now, here's, you know, people have said in my life, and you hear it all the time, oh, what a coincidence. So someone may say of you, Chris, oh, what a coincidence you became a teacher, principal. But the best definition of coincidence I ever heard is a coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. It's a wonderful principle, a wonderful definition of coincidence. Well, what a coincidence. No. For the believer, it's the hand of God weaving through our lives. Here's a reminder that you can listen to all of our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. Our next segment comes from The Voice of Charity. This week, co-hosts Mary Jokum and Bridget Murphy hosted an inspiring family of volunteers. 
<laughs> Good morning and welcome to the Voice of Charity. This is Marie Jocum. And Bridget Murphy. Bridget, it is almost the end of 2020. I mean, we I... know things aren't going to change January 1st, 2021, but it feels pretty good to say adios. Adios, adios. Although I will say that there have been some beautiful moments um, throughout this year, particularly related to Catholic Charities and the response of our partners, of our volunteers, of our staff during the pandemic. You know, we, not me and Bridget, although we did not stop working, but we, as, meaning our, our frontline staff, never stopped. They were there from the beginning, yep. um, and that was alongside some of our volunteers as well. We have been led by visionary leaders, Kathy Donahue and our new CEO, Sally Blount, an outstanding staff, corporate partners who've given us generous, generous support this year, um, and our volunteers. I mean, really the the backbone of us always, but always. during this pandemic, man, it has been phenomenal. And today we're going to talk um, with a group of our amazing volunteers, right, Bridge? Yeah, we said before we started, this is sort of like a family Christmas card <laughs> yes. show. Yes. And we are so fortunate to have um, the Kenziers on the show today. Um, an entire family who have regularly and generously volunteered both together and individually to support various parts of Catholic Charities' mission. We're thrilled to have them um, and thank them to thank them for all they do and to learn more about what this work means to them and why they do it as a family. So welcome to the Kenziers. Thank you. So we um, are doing something we've never done before. We have all we have six people on six different lines. We wish you could all be here with us in the studio. For those who are watching on YouTube, I believe the picture of your lovely family is up. Um, but Judy, we're going to start with you. Um, as all things, I think, Judy, you, you kind of lead the charge in many, many ways. You are a member of the Catholic Charities Board of Directors. You sit on our Board of Advisors. You chair the Family um, Parish Support Services Committee. You serve on the Strategic Planning Committee, the Volunteer Relations Committee. Oh, my God, committee. Judy, I'm so tired just listening to this. I'm exhausted. <laughs> and you are also a very integral member of PEAR in the Northwest Suburbs. You're... You're just incredible. Um, you were also featured on a WGN TV story about Catholic Charities Refugee Thanksgiving dinner last year. And you really have grown up with Catholic Charities and been part of it throughout your entire life. Can you share with with our listeners how this started? Sure. Um, my parents, John and Marie Luft, showed us really through example that really small acts of kindness can make a, a big impact in people's lives. My dad was on the board of advisors, and my dad worked with my mom, and they volunteered at shelter parties, food pantries, and suppers. You know, Catholic Charities was much different then, and it's, it's grown into a much larger agency and a lot of different services. But the one thing that I will never forget was my parents always served New Year's Eve supper at Catholic Charities, and they would come home and they'd say, it's the best way to end a year, and it's the best way to start a year, by giving back and being with some great people. So. I love that. I love that. I know that you said small acts of kindness, but I actually think your family do large acts of <laughs> kindness. But we'll we'll go with small if you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> now, David, when you met Judy and got to know her family, I don't know if you did this kind of thing before, but certainly you got you got brought in. <laughs> um, what did you think of that, and how how different was this from how your family operated, or 
was this a welcome change? Did Judy have to march you into some of these things? Did she tell you if you want to get married to me, you got to give your life to Catholic Charities? Like, what happened? Yeah, it was it was two requirements. One was you had to give your life to Catholic Charities, and the other one is you needed to be a Cubs fan. So, I love that. Uh, when I first began dating Judy, her family was already firmly involved in volunteering. Uh, you know, as as uh, as an example, I mean, they it, you through Thanksgiving and in the Christmas season. I mean, I, I learned new dimensions of what it meant to celebrate the seasons. Uh, I love that. I know, love that. Uh, while it might be a challenge to coordinate everybody's schedule, volunteering as a family is. Uh, a lot of worthwhile benefits, and uh, your children watch everything you do. And by giving back to the community, show them firsthand how volunteering makes a difference and how good it makes you feel to help other people and to enact change. You just defined the relationship goals of 2021. That's what we're all going to strive for. I love that. I, I love that kind of teamwork. And you know, Judy, before we take our first break, can you share with us what kind of have been the Catholic Charities programs that you've volunteered in and that kind of have a special place in your heart? Well, we as a family have had the pleasure of, you know, sponsoring and planning Christmas and summer shelter parties. Um, and we've worked with the refugee program, which has allowed us to meet new people and really make new friends. And then celebration of giving is um, we've had the fun of doing shopping sprees and then helping distribute and give gifts to families during the holidays that just, you know, may need a little extra boost. So really we've, we've had all different experiences and each one has been rewarding in so many different ways. And so, um, you know, every, every year we find something that, Oh, you know, we, we wouldn't have tried that before, like the refugee program. I, I, I never really even understood what a refugee was. And then when we started volunteering with the program, you know, it enlightened us and we were able to tell other people about it. So, it's been just a really rewarding experience all around. And I and a fun experience. Yeah. I've been at those shopping sprees with your family. I've been at Refugee Thanksgiving with your family. And it really is everyone just enjoying themselves. I have seen Dave jumping around playing games with kids. I know Matt and John and Sarah and Tim and the whole, the whole family getting involved. So, John, can you tell us um, how old you and your siblings are and how each of you got involved with Catholic Charities, maybe the journey from being forced to do it by your parents to deciding this was something you were interested in yourself? Sure. Uh, so this is John. Uh, I'm 32. Uh, my brother Matthew is 30. Uh, Tim is 28. And Sarah is 26. So we're all, it's every two years. It was, it was good planning on our parents' <laughs> part. And uh, I think as we all uh, grew up, we, we saw our grandpa being, grandma and grandpa being involved in Catholic Charities, our parents would go to these events, and, and it, it really wasn't something that was forced. It was just family outing, and that's how ah. we decided to spend time together. So we really enjoyed doing that. We enjoy being around each other, and our, I think it was a really good way to frame it for us growing up is this is something that we're going to choose to do as a family. This isn't something, this isn't a punishment. This isn't something that is going to be, uh, you know, a real burden for you. It's 
it's a way that we're going to spend time as a family and give back to the community that that we live in and and that we participate in. So I think that's really how it started. And then as we're involved, we we saw these other opportunities and we all each developed uh, certain interests that we wanted to pursue. And, and, you know, as we've gotten older, we've pursued those. And, you know, I I think what's so cool about, well, I'm a big fan of your family in general, but I think, you know, we've been able to see just kind of how each of you has done that. And, and while you still do things together, of course, you all kind of have gotten a little bit of a different flavor. So, Matt, I want to ask you, because you are the social chair, the current social chair of the junior board, and I have been to some of your junior board parties, and they are great, but would you maybe share a little bit about what that role entails and kind of what the junior board, all of you are, all of you and your siblings are involved with the junior board, but what that means to you? Sure. Uh, so I think the social chair person position specifically, uh, for me, it's about bringing people together. So you have a good time, you get to support a good cause. Um, it, it really is about bringing the community together that shares the same purpose of helping everybody regardless of their faith and background. So being a leader in that and in non-pandemic times, getting to help <laughs> to plan some of those events is it's a great time, but even um, I think more importantly during the pandemic too, just keeping people in touch and letting them know that we still do have opportunities to help folks. And uh, there have been volunteer opportunities that have resulted from some of the folks who have attended some of those virtual gatherings too. So it's been, I think, helpful during this year, especially too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have talked about this before on the show, but without the junior board, we would not have been able to deliver the food we have um, it, especially regarding our warehouse for senior food nutrition, but our food pantries as well. So kudos to the junior board for always showing up to serve. Absolutely. And we can't wait for this group in particular to be able to come together again. I don't think it was the first thought on anyone's mind when we saw that those vaccine trucks taking <laughs> no. off. But um, it's part of getting yeah. back to normal and hopefully yeah. a, a new normal that um, where we, we all take what we've learned from this uh, pandemic and move toward a, a greater world. Amen. Um, Tim, tell us a little bit about your engagement and what interests you at Catholic Charities. Sure. So uh, historically, I've helped out a lot with the refugee program. So that's always been a family activity where we go and just meet people that have been in the country for sometimes days, sometimes, you know, just a, a 24-hour period. So I I always thought that was one of the funnest things you could do, just be someone's first experience when they're in a new location and just trying to get adjusted. So I I, I loved that growing up. Um, And uh, that's probably the most important thing that uh, you could do in terms of volunteering, just being able to make time for others, Um, because eventually those people will make time for, for other people as well. That's great. And obviously, we have such a large, large population of refugees around the world, many of whom I, I think in the next administration, there will likely be more families coming here. Um, Tim, before we get to your sister, Sarah, can you can you share a memory? It sounds like you've been doing this for a while. Do you, re- do you remember being a child and being exposed to um, a family new to the country? I think that would be ex- an extraordinary experience as a younger person. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one thing that was common is I would sit down with my dad and we'd always sit down with a new family. Um, And oftentimes the family didn't speak English. So we kind of had a game going on where we would show our phone 
And when we didn't know a word, we would try to Google it just to figure out, you know, what they were talking about, where they were from, their life experiences, things like that, which had a, a pretty big impact on me as a, as a younger person. I love that. That makes me think of the thing your mom said at the beginning of the show about small acts of kindness, right? Like just spending time being human with people, just so lovely. We love the Kenziers. I need a t-shirt that says, I love the Kenzier family. Catholic Charities merch. Sarah, I have memories of you at the Refugee Thanksgiving playing with um, all of the kids. And I know you've done more than just playing with them, but <laughs> what can what can you tell us about your memories of, of sort of um, volunteering and, and what, you know, do you kind of agree with that, that you kind of get more than what you give? I think 100% you get more um, than you give just because whenever, pretty much every volunteer experience, I feel like you leave with like one person or one story that just kind of like resonates with you. And it kind of just makes you kind of aware of what you take for granted for. Um, so my mom mentioned we did the shelter parties. And sponsored those. So we would print out a photo before cell phones and people would get to decorate a frame. And some of these kids would show the photo to their mom and say, say that this is the first photo they've ever had of themselves. So when you go to school, you, you get your photo every year and you just kind of take for granted basic things in life. And I think that's just a small element of volunteering. That is really very, very profound. And I'm just imagining too, like, the, the change that that kind of makes inside yourself, right? Like the understanding that what that means that there is a child out there who, who didn't have that experience like you and I did and, and some of our listeners did as well. So kudos to Judy and Dave for, <laughs> for raising these incredible humans. Judy, I'm going to ask you a question that you don't know I'm going to ask you. So I'm, I apologize in advance, but I can't help thinking, you know, as you've kind of led your children and your family a lot, you and Dave leading your family. Let's give Dave some credit yeah, sorry, here. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's um, not all Judy. <laughs> um, just sort of this, you know, you also serve as the chair of the Family Parish Support Committee. And in that role, you encourage people to be involved in other ways as well. Could you maybe talk a little bit about your board involvement? Because that is volunteering. Sorry, Marie, you know what? I get I, I, my phone blipped on me a little bit. I, could you repeat it? Yes, Sorry. absolutely. Sorry about that. Um, technical difficulties. Post-pandemic, we'll have you all back and in person. But my question really is about your role as a board member, right? So leading the Family Parish Support Committee is an important job because you are connecting programs um, and board members and helping them see kind of the importance of their work as a, as a board member and inviting them to volunteer. How, how do you see that fitting in into, um, and what is the importance of that? Um, well, I would say that, um, you know, I think when the pandemic hit, we are, we were so isolated and I think people were feeling isolated and that they really couldn't Hello. do a lot to, um, um, participate. And I think that, you know, as in usual style of Catholic Charities, Catholic Charities offered opportunities and reached out to people. And I think the, the most important thing is, even if you can only do one thing, and it's not necessarily, you know, donating money, it could be, you know, just kind of reaching out to people and, um, you know, even dropping off a small thing at the food pantry. I think every little bit helps. And I think when you, I think a lot of people are feeling isolated right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think 
that when you do that, you begin to feel that connection again. And I think with the vaccine, yay, <laughs> we're, we're beginning to feel reconnected again. But I think that just that everyone needs to feel, you know, we all care about each other. We're all still there for each other. We just had to kind of reinvent how we interact. And, um, you know, celebrations another of giving is a great example. You know what? Maybe we can't all gather in a big room and distribute these gifts, but you can even go online and help out, you know, donate a gift that way. And you've made a huge impact in somebody's life that maybe, you know, last year would have never dreamed they needed that, that little help. Absolutely. But this year they do. Absolutely. I think what you're really highlighting for me is the importance of community, right? So we have community among our board members, among our volunteers, and we're all kind of hungry for something, right? We're we're all isolated. We're all struggling through this pandemic. And being able to do those small acts um, in service of someone else kind of really, really has been so important throughout this pandemic time. And I hope that you know, when life goes back to something, you know, that we keep that with us, that we all think of the Kenzier family who's been doing this for generations, and we all kind of take up that call together. That's right. And I think we're going to do a little bit of a a round robin here, Kenziers, and we're going to go from oldest to youngest. No, (laughs) no, we're going to go youngest to oldest because I'm the youngest and ask you to share a memory, a thought, something, um, a, a client or person you encountered through your work with Catholic Charities or a staff member, anything, and and something that sort of stays in your heart to this day. Um, Sarah, are you the youngest? I am the youngest. All right, you go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, one moment was just even, um, we couldn't do it this year, but last year, the Refugee Thanksgiving, I was talking with a couple girls and one was just telling me how, you know, she used to do running and kind of gave it up. But then she was boasting how she was, you know, the fastest in her her grade when she was from Africa. And that she beat all of these boys above her. and But she didn't want to continue it here. And my mom and I were talking with her and kind of encouraging her, like, you, it sounds like you're amazing. You need to keep going. Um, and she had this huge smile on her face. And I, even to this day, she kind of just pops up in my mind every now and then and just shows even a simple conversation can make an impact. Love it. Who's next? Tim, right? You're next. I, I think <laughs> so, yeah. We're going from youngest to oldest. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, you, you got to know where you are in the lineup. <laughs> so I guess going off that, uh, I don't know if I have a sing- single favorite memory as much as just like uh, a group of them just from doing soup kitchens when we were younger. Um, you'd have uh, a lot of the same people coming in every Thursday when I did a soup kitchen with my mom or with our mom rather. And, um, you know, over that time, you just got to learn a lot of stories about people, how their year was going and, um, just being able to check in on them every once in a while. So just that experience overall was something that I I really value because you got to learn a lot of life stories and, uh, just encounter different people. I love that. I think both of you have highlighted like the relationships, right? It's knowing someone, it's knowing their story and valuing them and seeing them. I, I just, I love this. Uh, Matt, you're next. Yeah, I think uh, my answer is probably going to be pretty similar to Tim's. <laughs> it's really tough to say like one specific memory. Um, I used to do the Read to Me program. So you get to impact somebody like very early on in their life and spend time with somebody when that's what they really need, um, just like an adult presence and having someone 
sit down, read a story, do arts and crafts, have a snack. And it means just all the difference to them. Uh, and then doing some of the soup kitchen work and then also some of the Thanksgiving celebrations. I think you get to see the the aggregate of all the impact that you make and you're just part of a higher purpose, I guess, with like all the small things that you do. So you get to, it really, it gives you, I think, a lot of drive in every other part of your life because you get to see like, wow, I made an impact um, in all these small spots to me, but it's, it's a huge difference uh, individually when you get to see people in person and, and the effect that it has on them. So, Matt, thank you for that. And I'm sorry, you were so articulate that we're not going to let your parents or John um, <laughs> tell their story um, so that we have plenty of time to thank the Kenziers for joining us today, for being part of the Catholic Charities family, such a deep um, connection we feel to you. And we're just wishing all of you a very Merry Christmas in the Kenzier household and to all of our listeners. Yes, thank you so much for being here with us, listening to this amazing family. They are the real deal, and we are so grateful for them. Tune in next week for another edition of The Voice of Charity, when we're going to take you on a virtual tour of Holy Land sites where Jesus was born. For now, this is Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy wishing everyone a safe, healthy, and happy week from all of us at Catholic Charities. For more information about Catholic Charities, how they assist people in need, and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Our next segment comes from the program called Built on the Rock, a program designed to help couples build their relationship on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Here's a highlight of that conversation. Can you believe it? It's December. This year seemed to have moved so slowly at one point in time, but I can't believe we are already facing um, December and Christmas and the New Year soon enough. Yes, I mean, we are just a week away from Christmas Eve, and yeah. it's unbelievable how, you know, even though it has been difficult, the time has moved on, and we are looking forward to a time of hope, the birth of the Lord. And yeah. uh, I know that the pandemic is going to change the way we celebrate. I don't know, Sandy, how are you going to celebrate? Do you know? Boy, I have to put some thought into that. I'm, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to look different, that's for sure. Um, we usually would have uh, gone to midnight mass, and, you know, that would begin kind of our traditional Christmas celebration with uh, with the boys. But uh, as you know, my, my younger son has some asthma complications, and so we've been yeah. taking things very, very carefully with this pandemic, and I don't think we're going to be in the church this year for Christmas. So it's going to be very different to partake of that from our, our living room, as we have been these Sundays so far. Um, I know. I probably, sh- probably should put a little more thought into maybe developing a new tradition <laughs> in lieu of some of the traditions that have to slip by the wayside because of this pandemic. But you I know, know what, even in the Father church, Brito, I mean, we have to celebrate life, Christmas very differently. Life looks these I days, mean, and as different as I know our holiday celebrations are going to look, I want to really focus on the one constant, which is the birth of our Savior into this world. Um, and if we really think about what Christmas is about, that is what what Christmas is all about: Christ coming to this world out of His love for us, becoming one with us. Um, to lead exactly. to our eternal salvation and joy with Him in heaven eventually. 
So that's the, the that remains the same. No pandemic can change that. Our traditions may look a little differently, but we're really going to focus on that that constant of Christ being born into our lives and our hearts this Christmas season. I know. I, I hope that all of us can keep that in mind. And uh, I always try to remember that this is the greatest gift that God gave us. In order to save us, he sent us his own son. And those words that we have heard so many times, John three sixteen, God mm-hmm. so loved the world that he sent his only son so that those who believe in him will have the power to become children of God. And so we have yeah. to celebrate the gift of God's love for us. And that is the reason why we exchange gifts with each other, you know, because God gave us the greatest of all gifts. And it's, it's kind of ironic, you know, you go to somebody's birthday, we give gifts to that person. But in Christmas time, instead of giving gifts to baby Jesus, we give gifts to each other. And that is the beauty of Christ's love, because he doesn't want anything for himself. Mm. He wants all of us to enjoy, to be happy on his behalf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in that well spirit said. of gift-giving, well, you know, finally we have a gift that we can give to our listeners. Because yeah. of the pandemic, we haven't had a couple to interview for our show, because that was the original format of our show, always interviewing a married couple or an engaged couple so that we can learn from their experience, their story. And I think we have a wonderful couple today to interview. So maybe, Sandy, you can interview, uh, you can introduce them. Yes, yes. You, I was just going to say that talking about gifts is the perfect segue to introduce our couple today. Uh, what a gift um, it has been in my life getting to know uh specifically um, Elizabeth, over these past few months. And I'm so excited that she and her husband, Joe, um, have joined us today for our show. So welcome, Joe and Elizabeth. Yes. Welcome. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you guys today. Yeah, it's so nice to have you on the show. And and the format is, is a little bit different than what we anticipated when we first talked to you about coming on the show, where we would all be in the studio together. Um but as been said at the uh, at the beginning of our show, you know he's he's co-hosting this for us, um, thankfully because none of us are now in the studio, so we do lose a little bit of the cues and the eye contact and the nonverbals. But uh, we appreciate you still being willing to join us by phone and tell us a little bit about your story. So I would like to begin with that, and I'll just toss it to both of you, either of you, whomever wants to speak. But what I think would be nice for our listeners is to just begin at the beginning when it comes to Joan and Elizabeth, and let us know a little bit about your story, how you met, um, and how you ultimately came to know that this was your person. So, Joe, Elizabeth, go ahead. Okay, honey, you first. Me first? Okay. So, um, <laughs> um, probably starting at the point where I came over to Chicago for the second time and um, joined St. Paul of the Cross uh, Church again. I was in... Um, April 2014, and um, in that same year, I also joined in September the Bible study that was offered by the Kirkland family, um, and with that, I met Judy and Jim DeBrock, and um, mm. that led into Donut Sundays, <laughs> <laughs> and with uh, Donut Sunday starting, I, um, and that morning, morning um, Jim and Judy came for Donut Sunday as well, and so Judy said, well, uh, I would like to introduce you to my husband, Jim. 
And so Jim, by the way, a little bit scruffy, he starts, well, guess what, I'm an usher in this parish, and how about that? Why don't you become an usher? We need some fresh meat for my <laughs> old geezer usher group. And so that is how, how that part started out, and um, I think it took like the Super Bowl the next year, somewhere in February, um, until I really could join the usher group. Because first Jim and his wife went on vacation, and I was gone in Germany visiting my family. And um, so, yeah, it was that uh, Super Bowl Sunday in February um, when I then was at an early 7.30 mass. And Jim walked over to Joe and said, Joe, I got you a new usher for your usher group. Mm. And, yeah, I think, Joe, you take over from that part. <laughs> telling <laughs> okay, the rest of the yeah. Story. So so I've actually been in the parish since day one. So um, I was born in 1961. I have all my sacraments through St. Paul the Cross, grew up in Park Ridge, born and bred type of person. And I've been an usher since I've been 18 and mm-hmm. was given the ranks of kind of heading up the 7 o'clock at the time, which is now the 7.30 Mass. And yes, on Super Bowl Sunday, Elizabeth joined our crew. Unfortunately, the little kind of ironic part was the first initial meeting, um, it probably was not the best that I would probably have presented myself. So at the time, I was going through what we call licensing. I'm actually a banker, and we were going through licensing, which is very similar, like taking a law degree, but not as intense. So I was having this exam the very next day. So at the time, we were actually trying to get more volunteers into the church and people actually trying to commit, as you all know, Sandy and Father Brito, is kind of hard, but mm-hmm. however we get them on board, you know, it's fine by us. So I literally mm-hmm. said to Elizabeth, I said, would you like to be full-time or part-time? Mm-hmm. And then I kind of showed her around, but I would probably admit, and she probably jokes about this all the time with everybody, that it probably wasn't the best initial, you know, kind of meeting between the two of us. Right, honey? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so originally I came from Germany, and um, when I started working for Michael Becker in Park Ridge, I was looking for a church family to join, and... My boss back then went, was a member of St. Paul of the Cross, so that was for me the first parish to look into, and I got stuck with St. Paul of the Cross because of the very nice and sweet community that they are. Um, Mm. So, yeah, being an usher and uh, being able to do something for the parish is always a nice thing. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's artschicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everybody. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.